0: Lord, we come to you this morning as the bread of life, the one who feeds us spiritually. And we pray that you would feed us again today. Amen. So as we've said already, today is a day when we remember the service and sacrifice of those who have defended our freedoms and protected our way of life. And as I started to think about these themes of freedom and sacrifice, my thoughts turn to two verses in 1 Corinthians. You were bought at a price, therefore honour God with your bodies, and you were bought at a price, do not become slaves of human beings. So these two verses express the value of freedom and the cost of freedom, two themes that underpin our Remembrance Sunday thoughts. But what they don't share in common with Remembrance Sunday is their starting point, because the starting point for our Remembrance Sunday thoughts is that there is an existing freedom that has been defended and protected. Whereas the starting point for our thoughts over the next 20 minutes or so is that we were once slaves, but we've now been made free. So we were once slaves. In recent times, there's been a resurgence of attention to slavery, particularly in its modern forms. One organization defines modern slavery as when an individual is exploited by others for personal or commercial gain. Whether tricked, coerced, forced, they lose their freedom. This includes, but is not limited to, human trafficking, forced labor, and debt bondage. They then go on to say that people can become enslaved making our clothes, serving our food, picking our crops, working in factories, or working in houses as cooks, cleaners, or nannies. Many people have fallen into this trap because they were trying to escape poverty or insecurity, improve their lives, and support their families, and now they can't leave. So just as an aside, I think it's very timely that we're um, advertising this debt coach role for CAP. But it's good, I think, that the issue of slavery has come to the forefront of our minds and our consciences in our time. But in the New Testament era, it didn't need to. It didn't need to be drawn to people's attention because slavery was staring everyone in the face. It's thought that in Rome... And in the major cities of the East, maybe up to a third of the population were slaves. We know from the New Testament, letters that Christian households and churches were made up of free men, free women and slaves. Everyone knew what slavery was. And because it was part of everyday life, Jesus and the New Testament writers didn't hesitate to use this metaphor of slavery as a way of communicating some things that are true. So Jesus said, for example, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Well, what did he mean by that? I think he was making a statement about how sin, which is any act contrary to the law and will of God... Becomes habitual. So Augustine used to say that evil passes your door first of all as a stranger, then enters as a guest, and finally installs itself as your master. Or, well, author Samuel Johnson wrote, the chains of habit are too light to be felt until they're too heavy to be broken. And we know this from experience, don't we? All of us have, I am sure, developed sinful patterns of behaviour. We never intended to. We would have been appalled at the idea that one day we would be trapped in some actions. But that's the nature of sin it gets a grip on us that we can't shake. We are slaves to sin. So Jesus is making a statement about our practice, but also he's making a statement about our status. Sin, as our master, has rights over us. And one of those rights is death. The wages of sin is death, Paul writes to the Romans. And death in the New Testament, just like life, is both a present reality and a future certainty. So the present reality is that sin cuts us off from a relationship with God. We might do lots of religious things, we might go to church, read our Bibles, pray, give, and so on and so forth, but we can't raise ourselves from the dead. We can't put things right with God without external intervention. And the future certainty is just an extension of the present reality. As sin cuts us off from a relationship with God now, so sin cuts us off from a relationship with God in the future. So when Jesus said, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, he was making a statement about our status. We are slaves cut off from God And about our practice, we do the things that slaves do by obeying our master sin. And that's the human condition. And despite every advance in technology, every advance in education, every new insight in psychology, our condition is unchanged. As a human race, we are just as vicious, just as greedy, just as boastful just as violent, just as disconnected from God as we have ever been. We are prisoners of our humanity. We are slaves of the human condition. I've cheered you all up this morning, even though I? You're just so <laughs> pleased you came to church. I can tell. <laughs> That's the bad news. But into this depressing story breaks the good news of a redeemer a rescuer someone who sets us free god has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins so who's he talking about well the us he's referring to are those who have put their faith in christ we scroll back to verse 2 in the same chapter uh, and that becomes apparent so we were slaves We were under the domination, under the dominion, under the rule, sovereignty, whatever word you want to use, of darkness, sin, and death. That's that's the status that we had. But we who are now in Christ are in a different kingdom, under a new master, under the Son of God. How did that happen? Well, we were redeemed, which means delivered Through the payment of a price. So our freedom has been purchased for us. And the implication is the forgiveness of sins. So the very thing that cut us off from the life of God, sin, has been dealt with. We've been forgiven and that relationship with God is restored. What was the price with which we were bought? A different verse from Ephesians 1. In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So there it is again. Redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But this time we have two new ideas. Paul tells us that the price with which we were bought was the blood of Christ... And Paul tells us that the payment of that price was consistent with the generosity of God. So let's look at those two ideas. We have been redeemed through Jesus' blood. Now, this is a gruesome image, isn't it? It's an unfashionable image, as well as being a gruesome image. We recoil at the phrase, I think, many of us. But, of course, 2,000 years ago, we wouldn't have done so Paul's readers would have understood it and related to it immediately. Because under the Old Testament sacrificial system, worshippers had to approach God with animals, birds, to be killed on their behalf. And so when a worshipper brought a goat or a pigeon and laid their hands on it and killed it, then they knew that the life that they took with their own hands, represented the life that they had forfeited through their own wrongdoing. They understood that the goat or the pigeon was dying in their place. So in a nutshell, when we talk about the blood of Jesus, we are making the point that Jesus paid the penalty that we should have paid. That Jesus served the sentence that we should have served. Why would he do that? Because it's consistent with the riches of God's grace. Or to put it more simply, because that's the kind of outrageously generous God he is. That's what he's like. He's the kind of God who is willing to pay a great price so that we might be free. Not because he's obliged to, but because he wants to. At first, as a student, I wanted freedom only for myself. The transitory freedoms of being able to stay out at night, read what I pleased, and go where I chose. Later, as a young man in Johannesburg, I yearned for the basic and honourable freedoms of achieving my potential, of earning my keep of marrying and having a family, the freedom not to be obstructed in a lawful life. But I then slowly saw that not only was I not free, but my brothers and sisters were not free. That's when the hunger for my own freedom (coughs) became the greater hunger for the freedom of my people. It was this desire for the freedom of my people to live their lives with dignity and self-respect that animated my life, that transformed a frightened young man into a bold one, that drove a law-abiding attorney to become a criminal, that turned a family-loving husband into a man without a home. I'm no more virtuous or self-sacrificing than the next man, but I found that I could not even enjoy the poor and limited freedoms I was allowed when I knew that my people were not free. Nelson Mandela had this burden for the freedom of his people, and it cost him, and it cost his family, but he thought it was worth it. It's not a stretch to say that God had a burden for the freedom of humanity. But it cost him. And it cost his family. We were slaves. Slaves to sin by nature and practice. We are, we who've put our trust in Christ, free. Our freedom, the forgiveness of our sins is bought with Jesus' blood question is what will we be if that's what we were that's what we are what will we be we who are in christ well we're under new new ownership we're now in the kingdom of the son that god loves we have a new master what does he require of us you were bought at a price therefore honor god with your bodies you were bought at a price do not become slaves again to human beings So, two thoughts in these verses. They were associated with specific circumstances in Corinth, which you can read about in the letter itself. But stepping away from the specifics for this morning, Paul was making two general points. First, he was saying that you are not on your own. Sorry, you are not your own. You are under new management. You have been bought with a price, so you should live to honour God. Now, you might think that's just swapping one form of slavery for another. And what you really want is to be completely free to do whatever you want to do. But I'd like to suggest that that is not a wise approach to life. The Bible often uses the metaphor of a walk to describe life, and it doesn't mean a walk in a park. Life's walk is more like a trek. This is my experience, at least. Yes, sometimes the way takes you beside gentle streams and through fields of swaying wheat, but it also takes you through dark valleys and up steep precipices and across rocky terrain where you can trip and through thick jungle where all sorts of dangerous animals lurk, through the desert where food and water are scarce, along passes where bandits hide, narrow gorges where there's only room for one and you feel desperately alone. And there are times when the way isn't clear and the fog descends and you haven't a clue where you are or where you should be going. Call me a coward, but if I was going on an actual journey like that, I would want someone else to take the lead. Someone who knew the way to go. Someone who could advise what to wear, what to carry, what to leave behind. Someone who, when necessary, would tell me, it's dangerous here, follow my steps carefully. But at other times, might say, well, you know, as long as you stay within this area, do what you want, enjoy yourself. So to live under new management, to live as though you are not your own, is to humbly ask Jesus, the pioneer, to lead you. And to commit to following him as best you can with his help. Because as the author of life, it's proper. Because as our redeemer, the one who set us free by paying the cost of his life, it's his right. And because it is the only wise way to live. If you're not your own, you are bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. But then secondly, Paul was saying that you shouldn't hand over your freedom to others. Freedom's a precious thing, isn't it? I mean, that has really come across in the last few days with the... Uh, Ukrainians retaking that key city. But it's so easy to surrender the freedom which has been bought for us, that freedom that was so costly. We can hand it over, for example, to the teachers of the law. So these are the people who will tell you how to live your life. They'll tell you what's acceptable to do on a Sunday, what isn't, They'll tell you what you can eat and what you can't. They'll tell you how you should spend your time, how you shouldn't, where you must go, where you mustn't. And to be honest, life is much easier when there is a clearly mapped out path, when the ways boundaries are obvious, where my brain isn't exercised by having to make choices because all I have to do is just stay between the lines. Life is so much simpler like that. But that is to surrender my freedom. Or we can hand over our freedom to dominant personalities. People with large influence in our lives. They can be celebrities whose way of life or principles or image we pay attention to or try to emulate. They can be authority figures like our favorite authors, politicians, even Christian leaders, Mm -hmm. whose words we trust unquestioningly. They can be husbands or wives or parents who control us with words and actions. But when these personalities are the ones directing how we think and how we behave then we have surrendered our freedom. And then one third example. We can, be, we can hand over our freedom to the technology moguls. The Mark Zuckerbergs and the Elon Musks and others whose products, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, those are the ones I know about, I'm probably out of date, now. there's probably a dozen more, that influence our politics, our purchasing, that shape our culture, that sway our opinion of other people, that distract us, disrupt our sleep, cause us depression, anxiety, loneliness, self-harm. Nothing wrong with these technologies per se. But if we give them too much headspace, then we surrender our freedom. And through Paul, the Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning, you were bought at a price. Don't become slaves of human beings. Don't give up that freedom. That was so costly. That is so valuable. So on this day, when we remember the service and sacrifice of all those that have defended our freedom and protected our way of life, let's also remember the service and sacrifice of the one who purchased our freedom and offers a new way of life. On this day, let's also remember Jesus who through his death has set me free from slavery. Let's remember Jesus and let's commit, maybe for the first time, maybe afresh, not to surrender our costly freedom, but to live lives honouring to God. Amen.